0: Hey guys, it's Anon Chimpy from AnonTech.com. Uh, we are back. Uh, this is, I think we're just going to call this episode 25. Um, we just did a mobile show at IDF uh, that didn't get pushed out to the podcast feed. So, you know, this will follow up as our next episode. Um, I'm joined again by uh, Brian Klug, who was just with me in San Francisco.
1: Yep. That was uh, pretty
0: fun just recently. Yeah, that was, uh, that was an insane week. Um, yeah, it's so been let- a crazy couple weeks. <laughs> Let's, uh, why don't we just take it chronologically, right? So we show up. Um, we both landed at about the same time and I grabbed the rental car and we drove straight to Intel's Santa Clara campus and they had this whole like Bay Trail day set out for us. Yep. Um, so Bay Trail, if you don't know, that's, I guess the first implementation of the brand new Silvermont Atom architecture platform. Uh, it's targeted at tablets uh, Silvermont will show up in notebooks, desktops, and then, you know, it'll also show up in phones next year with the Merrifield SoC. Uh, but today, I mean, uh, you know, by the end of the year, we will have Bay Trail tablets running both windows and Android. And you and I got to, I don't know, we sat through a little bit of Intel telling us how to benchmark and stuff like that, <laughs> which, which I thought was kind of, everybody does I, that these days. I don't uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm getting kind of like tired of it because I, I was
1: tired of it. Well, I didn't know I don't mind other people getting preached the story, but then they they just turn around and continue running whatever.
0: Yeah, like that's the problem because I remember, you know, in the PC side of things, everyone always comes and and says, "Hey, look, this is how you guys should benchmark." And, you know, we have a lively debate and and whatever. But in mobile, I feel it's like, "Hey, everything you guys do sucks." Um, and we're not going to provide a solution. So, and then they'll yeah. always like put forward one maybe marginally better benchmark and tell us to use it. Yeah, and it's always the one that only they like. Yeah, exactly. Right? So like for Qualcomm, it's Volamo. For Intel, yeah. it's uh like mobile expert and web expert and touch expert, they're all just Does NVIDIA have one? I don't think they have one anymore.
1: What um, I don't what know did what theirs Nvidia used like? to
0: be. NVIDIA used to like all the multi threaded stuff, right? Yeah. Anything that would that would hit four cores. Um and now, I guess they like spec. But the problem with spec yeah. is you can't run it That's on true. a non-rooted, non-jailbroken device. And spec per area. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: they they were you know big on because that. you know when you're shopping around, you're like, wow, this one you know it has a lot of silicon
0: inside. I don't know if I want to make that purchase. <laughs> it's so funny because like I you know we are often engaged in like kind of the background arguments with a lot of the manufacturers and. One recent one that's been happening is like, well, whatever our area is smaller, and like that's just the most ridiculous yeah. argument to me. Because if the end device is the same price and it doesn't like it's not terrible on power, I just don't care. Like I guess not... that this is
1: something that's important for an OEM or important for like you making money on it.
0: Yeah, but yeah, it's I want more silicon. <laughs> exactly. Um, So anyways, Intel – and now to Intel's credit, their take on benchmarking was a little different. What they did was they actually went through and showed us – like they disassembled some of the common benchmarks, but they wouldn't actually put names to any of it, right? So they wouldn't tell us whose code we were looking at, but they said, look, this is the assembly code for these benchmarks. And they kind of went through almost function by function, line by line, showing you what's wrong with a lot of these benchmarks. And I I thought that was kind of neat at least.
1: It's cool to see, but yeah again i'm not the one that you need to pitch the problem to, like yeah. you are just preaching to the choir here, and exactly. i don't write the benchmarks, so you're know, like i can 't fix this you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've tried to fix this, and they're part of the problem too they They all have their little consortium, and then they all disagree with each other, and nothing ever happens
0: yep, so or, and you know what we 've seen is when you know you do have benchmarks by consortium they you know, it becomes a debate of, well, you're favoring these instructions more than these instructions, even though they're both real world, right? Then it's a, it's, it's the sysmark debate over again. So I I feel like we're going to trade this problem in for a better problem, but it's still going to be a problem. Like it's just not going to be solved until people just build. I mean, part of the problem in mobile is we don't have taxing enough apps where I can just pull out a stopwatch and, you know, have it take longer than whatever, two or three seconds.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I uh, I don't know. I think the recent recent uh, benchmarking scandals have obviously catalyzed finally a lot of uh, reaction, mm-hmm. and it's unfortunate that it, it took like all this happening just to really make anything move forwards. But now there's uh a, there's attention towards fixing some of it, but
0: it's unfortunate that it took that sort of it always does though right like it's it's always going to take something ridiculous happening before things change um and the thing is like a lot of companies have been working on this for a while right like we were supposed to have a cross-platform pc mark by now and i have a feeling that it's not just that but it's also you know can one a lot of the companies that have a ton of experience doing benchmark development just don't exist in mobile Yep, right, yeah. Right. And getting them kind of familiarized and to, to move those things over. Like, we finally got 3 E Mark, which I thought was a decent step. And if you look at all the focus that's been put on. We finally GPU, got the iOS version. Yes. Right. Like, that took how long? Um, a full
1: year, almost? Six months? Yeah.
0: So I, I feel like it's getting better. It just seems to be getting better on the graphics side before it gets better on the CPU side.
1: Yeah. So, and that's why you see the, like, uh, kind of like there's a little bit of a bias towards. 3d performance than over cpu but it's really just like a an artifact of the fact that there aren't good tests yeah or uh i don't know i got so they, I, somebody sent me a test that was like a chess game and uh the chess engine how many moves per second it could calculate i thought that was oh, interesting. interesting yeah so um, i mean there what, are use cases out there but i don't know was it a
0: port of um i need a good uh uh like a N Queens benchmark. <laughs> right? Can you can you just populate the board with Queens and have it work itself out?
1: You know, I don't know. This is like Stockfish 4. Some dude was uh emailed me and said, you know, what are what does this perform like in 8974 and can you run it? Interesting. And um Yeah, I was playing around with that the other day. But the board is in Queens. I just made like a couple random moves and then put it into analyze mode.
0: You know? Yeah. I mean, chess, chess tests are always great for like things like branch prediction and, and just, uh, uh, I don't know, measuring something that, that has a lot of branches in it. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyways... This doesn't
1: the, do... Yeah, it's around like 600 for what it's worth. NPS, 600K. I, don't, I haven't tested enough devices to know what that ends up being.
0: So Intel did the... Um, they told us about all this benchmarking stuff. Then they took us on a tour of... Their user experience lab, which I thought was also kind of cool. Um, It's the first time we got to see a setup they call Oculus in person. Um, And what it is is this robotic arm that is in this you know large chassis, and you put not to be confused with Oculus Rift. Yes, correct. It's a different Oculus, Um, (laughs) and this one actually predates Oculus Rift. So you know they they put uh, like a tablet or phone. (laughs) (laughs) They put a, a tablet or a phone in there, and. Uh, it's got like a, a high-speed red camera recording it all. And, you know, you can program the robotic arm to touch the screen and do all, basically whatever you want it to do. Um, and it records all of it. And then they analyze basically latency of uh, input versus when you actually see a response on the screen. Um, it's got it's the a poker.
1: Of,
0: yeah, exactly. It's got the poker. It's got basically a lot of work to get around the fact that we don't have any good internal timing tools for this kind of stuff on mobile platforms yet. Um, and what they do is it's apparently they went out and surveyed a whole bunch of people. They didn't tell us how many people, um, but they surveyed a whole bunch of people and they kind of built this model for, uh, what sort of response time and fluidity and frame rates and all this stuff, uh, these people equate to, you know, kind of a bad experience an okay experience, really good experience. Um, so they built this model, then they. Uh, they built this model based off of real people, uh, but then they obviously they, they put it into uh, kind of an algorithmic form uh, so they don't have to go out and survey people you know, every single time they want to test a device. And then they run this Oculus test on the device, and they can kind of map it to the model. And without having to go out and survey a bunch of people, they can kind of figure out whether or not these devices will have good experiences or bad experiences. Um, and then the really cool part about all this is they feed those results back into... Uh, things like chip development and so in theory you're you're actually getting a user experience component of you know defining the next generation architectures not just how well is it going to do in spec or these other workloads that we think are, are very prevalent um so i thought that was kind of neat i I don't know what what was your takeaway from know, it was Oculus? cool to
1: see it i mean i've see, you've talked about it before i've heard about it it was uh, it's interesting to see it um You know, what's interesting lately is that a lot of people want to measure, like, touch latency. Yes. So, uh, I mean, you saw there were some people who were even doing that and, like, comparing iOS and Android and trying to essentially do what they're doing there. But, uh, I don't know. I I think it's good there are people doing it. I haven't done it yet. So, we'll see. But uh, they had some other stuff. I think the real problem is that, you know, Intel can do all of its user experience measurements, but... Unless something changes with the OEM and they want to fix it, it's all kind of just, well, it
0: sucks. Yeah. And that, that I think, was the the kind of most frustrating part about all this is this lab has been around for a while, and even so, we got devices like, you know, the Clover Trail and Clover Trail Plus tablets that, you know, hit the market, and they just, they weren't great user experiences, right? They might have been better than, you know, the Tegra 3 solutions on the market, but I mean they couldn't have scored very highly on on those on those metrics that Intel had, yeah,
1: so there's really no prerogative to fix anything
0: yeah and and that's the kind of disappointing part right and it's part of it is that Intel is in a weird situation right so i if I look at kind of traditional Intel, you know they might be a little more aggressive with their o e m s to meet certain standards um but this Intel has no, I mean, they have no mobile market share, right? So they're not going to go off and say, hey, please work with us. And by the way, we're going to be insanely strict about what you can or can't do with our hardware. Um, and I think that puts them in a really unfortunate position.
1: Yeah, I think it's its more of a free-for-all, in the at least in the Android space.
0: I mean, maybe they have more control over the Windows stuff. Yeah, but I think at this point, you know, upper management just wants market share, right? Like they don't, you know, at at the expense of anything. It's just like whatever, ship it. We need. Oh sure, yeah. They're not gonna.
1: They can't tell them like do this or you don't get to use our hardware.
0: Yeah, and even if we look at them doing that, you know, Intel doing that in the PC space, they never kind of go strict enough, right? Because like they still have to. At the end of the day, the OEM is still their customer, right, and not the end user, unfortunately. Um, and, and I think that's just what the viewpoint is. And as a result, you have things like, you know, the Ultrabook spec that specifies, yeah, you can get by with SSD caching, but you don't you don't have to have a full SSD. Whereas, you know, the the true, the best choice for user experience would be mandating, yeah, you, you can't have a hard drive in it. Yeah. So anyways, we did all that. And then we finally, like, they stuck us in this really, really cold room. Thermal <laughs> throttling. And then they were like, oh, no, <laughs> the air conditioning is stuck
1: on. Like, we swear it's not.
0: No. yeah it was a it was a
1: very um it's stuck on okay it was frigid that
0: <laughs> no, was literally a refrigerator in there <laughs> so they put us in this room and it was kind of a free-for-all right it was like you could grab you know maybe 80 percent of the tablets were windows and 20-ish percent were android um and then you kind of do a show of hands and they just leave you the tablet and then brian you took the android and i took off one on windows yep um, i had like
1: two android ones just like, oh, I slowly true. gathered like more tablets around. <laughs> yeah, me. we
0: were sitting at the same table as uh, Nate from Legit Reviews, and yep. I looked over and he just had three tablets. Oh, right? yeah, he's like, know,
1: You need to complete all this stuff. They only gave us like, well, I mean, I guess we had more time, but you know, you're always under a time pressure.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, it's, I never tried to kind of set up, you know, and and to Intel's credit, they, they did it the way we asked, right? Which is, You don't preload anything. We come in with our own tests and we load whatever we want. And I never sat down and, and, you know, tried to prep a Windows test bed and an Android test bed at the same time. But, like, you were almost done with all of your tests while I'm still installing stuff.
1: Yeah, I I think – I thought that was interesting. I've never really played with uh, benchmarking on Windows. You know, I mean, I I I have, but I never, like, have run through your test suite.
0: Yeah, you know? everything is just like uh, they're just all big beefier applications, right? And as a result, like I mean, a lot of them have installers, and a lot of them took just a ton of time. Um, yeah. So it what took was a while. your what was your Android experience? I, I know you know
1: they I, weren't. Yeah, the Android experience wasn't nearly as complete, and they were pretty honest about that. Um, I think it was they wanted to show something rather than nothing, and then have people be asking where where, where is that you know, Android port. And, uh, you know, it was speedy. There were parts that clearly needed optimization that they said they were aware of like the launcher, but other, other parts are very, were very smooth, like their browser. So I don't know. I think Intel still has a lot of experience, um, to gain really on doing bring up on Android. And that's kind of evidenced by, you know, some of the other devices that we've seen. But, you know, for the most, I mean, it was working to their credit, ran all the tests, although it didn't run the Volamo um, HTML5 test. I think there was an, op- an issue with uh, WebGL. But, uh, you know, the performance numbers were good. I It's all in the in the post. I, you know, I'm excited. We'll get to see it. I'm more excited about Merrifield, honestly. Uh, I mean, we're going to see more Baytrail tablets that are running Windows than we are Android at first. Yeah. So, and um, from
0: the indication they gave is that, you know, probably within the next, you know, one to two months, we'll see the first Baytrail Windows tablets. And then by the end of the year, we'll see the first one ship Android.
1: Um, yeah. So clearly that's their priority. I mean, it makes sense.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that you said afterwards was the performance data that you got out of Baytrail on Android mostly just made you excited about Maryfield.
1: Yeah, I mean the whole thing just mostly made me want Merryfield. I mean, I think the next couple months are gonna be I mean the next uh six months are gonna be interesting, you know, early um early next year type deal.
0: Yeah, because we we're getting this first Snapdragon eight hundred phones now ish. And, you know, hopefully in the, the first part of next year we we get Merryfield and that'll you know, it's expected to have Rogue uh, on the graphic side, so it's it's supposed to be uh, and and hopefully it's it's actually you know a, a decent rogue implementation versus kind of some of the crippled stuff that we'd seen in the past from from Intel with IMG. Um, so I don't know. That's kind of cool on the Windows side of the Bay Trail experience. Uh, you know, it, it, one of my complaints with um, Clover Trail and and Windows was that yeah, you had backwards compatibility, but it didn't matter because using desktop mode was kind of sluggish. Bay Trail. I don't want to say that it definitively solves that problem but it at least gets really really close. Um I'd have to actually spend time with a Baytrail Windows 8.1 machine um to see if I can, you know, not be totally frustrated by the desktop experience. But in my in my experience there it was really good. Like prior with the exception of uh, a few really really long latency loads, um like I remember launching Borderlands took forever for some reason. <laughs> And I, like I don't understand why, because other you know I looked at the performance of the integrated EMMC and it was actually pretty decent and everything felt fairly fast and responsive. And and you saw the Windows 8 experience like it didn't it didn't look bad at all, right?
1: It seemed uh, you know totally usable. Yeah. From what I saw, um, like you could actually compute on it. I mean, yeah. Not that I'm and- surprised, but. <laughs>
0: Um, I mean, they even set something up where we all got to play, like, LAN Team Fortress 2 on Bay Trail tablets with keyboards and mice attached. That's right, yeah. And that wasn't a terrible experience, right?
1: No, it wasn't bad at all. I mean, and then they showed Clever Trail Plus, which was just like a slideshow.
0: Yeah, and that was, like, completely unusable. So, it, for the most part, it was good. It was just, it was just really random... I I can only assume it was just IO issues where I would go to launch something and I would just be waiting and confused as to what's happening because everything else I did prior was just super fast. Um, these tablets, obviously these are lower cost cost machines. Um, and, and, you know, they're not going to have the best hardware in them. They're not full blown SSDs. It's the same sort of EMMC that we see in, uh, you know, other smartphones or tablets. Um, although SanDisk had that Announcement about doing a Bay optimized implementation of Inand Extreme. So, and, and Intel's kind of hinted to me that you know they do care more about this, and and they're trying to ship better EMMC platforms um, in in their their tablets. So we'll see we'll see what happens there. Um, so, anyways, we do all that, and then later on in the week, we met up with uh, Asus, and Johnny Shi actually gave us some like hands on time with the first Bay Trail like. Uh, OEM Bay Trail tablet we played with, the Transformer Book T100. Yep. Um, and what did you think about that? I know, it, lo- it looked like,
1: I mean, they wanted to shy away from using the EE brand, but it's they want to make it analogous, you know, that this is a very low-cost device that's just as powerful without concessions. And it what's interesting about it is, of course, it's dockable. So you can use it as a tablet. You can use it as sort of like a clamshell. And the... For the price, which I can't remember the exact number, but what, I think was it's it, like 300. Yeah, 350 uh, was very good. And uh, I don't know. I was I was kind of very impressed with that. That's obviously the Halo device, obviously for Bay Trail. And, you know, my hat's off to them. They even included five gigahertz Wi-Fi, you know, so that's a boon.
0: Yeah. And so it's cool. The 350 includes, you get the 10 inch tablet, right? And it doesn't use the fastest um, Bay Trail SKU. It uses, I think the one below it, Um, but still very snappy. So you get that, you get the keyboard dock, which doesn't have a battery in it, but it's, you know, it gives you a USB 3 port, um, like a, you know, a full keyboard and a a little trackpad. You also get Windows 8.1 and you get Office. You get the home and student version of Office 2013, all for the $350 price point. And I look at that, and I think, for people who would spend money on an ARM-based tablet but need it to be a little more, right? They yeah. need Microsoft Word or whatever. I I feel like this is a this thing has like competitive written all over it. I think it's the Z3740, right?
1: Or yeah. yeah, we played with 3770. I I really enjoyed it. I mean, I would buy one. You know.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's gonna. Assuming that the overall actual experience isn't bad, um, we should, we should hopefully find out here in the next month or so, I, I don't know. I feel like that's going to be a winner for Bay Trail. And it's interesting because when leading up to Bay Trail, I sort of assumed that the only way they would have any success is if they had like a Nexus win, right? If they had like a clear yeah. flagship tablet. But this kind of proves that... I still they want a
1: Nexus win, though, and I, I don't think they're ready for it, or maybe they are. And I don't know. You can guess back and forth.
0: No, I would like that as well. I just, I think it's very clear if you look at the uh, the two companies that showed off Baytrail tablets or that were shown off as Baytrail design wins at IDF, it was Dell and ASUS. You know, it's clear that if if Intel had a tier one new mobile client OEM, they would have showcased that. Right. So I I think the best we can hope for is that the traditional PC guys and and a lot of the traditional partners that Intel has, you know, can kind of do a good job. And thankfully, they do have Asus um, that that seems to know what to do here.
1: Yeah, yeah. And their hardware is just considerably improved, you know, each generation, I think, at least with the dockables and mobile stuff.
0: No, I agree completely. Um I actually thought build quality on the T one hundred was pretty good. I, I didn't you know, obviously like it's got some of the glossy plastic on the back. Um it's it's not it doesn't feel to to me as good as like let's say the, the Nexus Sevens finish, but I don't know, it, for the price point, I, I think it's pretty good. Yeah, the keyboard wasn't
1: bad. I mean it's yeah. I'm sure that people will find some issue or something, you know, to to gripe about, but for the for how much it costs, it's amazing how good it was.
0: No, I agree. I agree completely, um, which makes me wonder. You know, that it seems like me, ASUS
1: is really nailing that lately.
0: I agree. I feel like that's kind of where we were with the first Nexus Seven, right? Yeah. Where it was it was good enough, like given the cost, and that gives me hope that maybe the next one of these will kind of do away with the good enough and just be amazing. Um, yeah. So you had another ASUS device come in. Um, you had the pad, the new Padfone Infinity. Yep, that's right, the Snapdragon
1: 800 PadPhone Infinity, the new one. I guess the name is actually the new. So, um, I mean, I've wanted to play with the PadPhone for a long time. I mean, we've seen it. Uh, we've played with them before, you know, like briefly, but uh, we finally got one just like in for review. And I've been uh, toying with it, and I think it's I think it's pretty, pretty incredible. I wish that we could get one with the USA bands, you know, and really give it a good good shot. You know, like I want to use it as my daily. I just haven't had time yet. Yeah. But uh you know, it's it's interesting to me that Asus is willing to try all these different form factors and kind of figure out what what really works best. And I'm surprised at how well uh, constructed it is. You know, like I, I was a fan of the previous one. And uh I think this one is just as just as good. They added like a little camphor along the edge. But that's that's really the only hardware change. The other the other thing is you know, faster SoC, which is always better. And, uh, you know, we're obviously impressed with Snapdragon 800. This is the 2.2 gigahertz been. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's really performant. I think it's, I think I really want to spend time with it and figure out how this really fits into my workflow, you know, or if it does. And, uh, I'm just impressed to be honest. I don't know. It's, 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 so, a, it's, it's frustrating that USA operators seem to be, Really hostile to this form factor.
0: Yeah, I. So let, let's take it one step at a time, right? This is your first like actual review experience with an ASUS phone. If you yeah. if you were just looking at the phone in terms of build quality feel, how do you? Because obviously, you know, I I, I can see a future where ASUS might be, you know, an actual player in the phone space. right? I remember when clearly... they were, remember windows phone, they had like the earliest windows phones were Asus. Yes, absolutely. Um, and obviously they were really big in like the, uh, the, the, um, windows PDA market as well. Um, yeah, I wish they would do more of
1: that. And I, I don't know why there is obviously some hesitation, but I mean, you could say that this is really their phone product.
0: Yeah. So as a, let's ignore the, you know, that you can dock it into a tablet as, as a phone, do you see promise? Like how, how does it feel? Like what, how does it compare to, you know, obviously you have experience with, with everything that comes out. What, uh, I
1: don't know. I like it. It's a little, up.
0: it's a little bit big,
1: but I mean, it's, it's a big device. It's got a nice big screen. How big is the screen? Oh, I think it's five inches. Okay. Don't quote me on it. I believe it's 5.0. It, I mean, there's a bit of a bezel. There's just no getting around it, but, uh. You know, it's a good device. I, I like that it's it's got metal around the edges. I mean, again, this is sort of like my whatever. He only likes metal, but uh, <laughs> you know, they they did a good job. I I would I would be encouraged and love to see a phone by them. You know, just like on its own, and see how that how that stacks up. But I mean, you could say that this is obviously their first phone. You know, or like the first pad phone was their first phone.
0: Yeah. Now, where would you if you look at because now you've seen the genesis of Samsung, LG, HTC. Um, where would you say ASUS is in their progression as a phone company? Um, just based still on this, started. Design.
1: I mean, still just beginning, kind of. To be honest. Okay, so you,
0: you don't think they've caught up? And you know, and, and uh, obviously, you know, this
1: there's parts of this that are really advanced. There are parts that aren't. And what's really advanced? I don't know. I, I mean, again, it's metal. I mean, you obviously don't see Samsung making metal. Yeah. You no, know, it's just, it feels good. It okay. is, it is, uh, I think it's really, really polished as far as devices go. I, I, the skin I hesitate a little bit about, you know, I'm sure people are going to find issues. Uh, you know, I'm so used to looking at skin devices now. I just don't even, I don't really notice it anymore. <laughs> uh, How does their I don't skin think series is, is nearly as, as garish as LG's.
0: Yeah you know how does what what do they do cuz my only familiarity with what they do is on the tablet side which isn't all that skinned
1: it's the same you know but it's still there's still stuff in the way yeah i don't know it's it's just a personal taste thing that's ultimately the 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 matter is that a lot of people you know especially the enthusiasts that are going to be loudest have you know this preconceived notion of what they want and you know if it's not that exactly then it's not okay
0: yeah um, okay. So that's the phone side. Have you played around with it at all when you dock it in, in tablet mode? Yeah, it seems pretty good. It's just,
1: it's the same. I mean, the transition is really fast. You just stick it in there and then, you know, there's a brief pause and then boom, it comes on, on the tablet.
0: Yeah. Cause I the tablet's just acting as a display, right?
1: Yeah. And, and they just have video out through the little port at the bottom, the micro USB thing. I think ultimately what's interesting about this is it's a way to get a tablet, and a smartphone on the same data plan and that's why the operators in the USA are are hostile about it.
0: What um what happens when you get a call when you're in tablet mode? I haven't experienced that yet. I I really don't know. <laughs> um okay. I mean, do you it's tough cuz it doesn't work on um like what speed does it? What do you connect on? What network do you oh, connect on? It's just on? HSPA+. Oh, okay. That's not terrible.
1: No. It's not bad. I I haven't like, again, I've been using the iPhone lately for the iOS 7 review, and before that, the G2. I, I just haven't given it the the big, sh- you know, like, fair shake yet with the, yeah. you know, daily driver.
0: But you're not a big tablet user anyways, though, right?
1: No, to be honest, not really. I mean, I have the Nexus 7. They just kind of, like, they have, like, a two-room radius. <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, what makes it—what's interesting about the, the pad phone design to me is that I can see it being a situation where I would just leave the shell like near the couch. And then when I go to the couch, I could just dock yeah. my phone. Do you Other have a than, charger at your couch though? Uh, sometimes. Hmm. I just like, like the yeah. idea
1: of the pad is like a huge battery.
0: Yeah, that's true. Like um, That's what I
1: want. It's just like it has a huge battery. That's
0: true. It's a huge battery, and that just happens to also
1: power a giant screen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's it can charge the device off of you know its own battery, and I don't know. I think it's an interesting form factor. I, I love playing with just like devices that are different. Yeah, and this is and obviously Asus really is, different.
0: They've they've done a really good job of of just trying new things. The the only frustrating thing about ASUS, unfortunately, is that they come out with all these great ideas, but I feel like they don't ever see them to like complete fruition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. right and and i feel like once they get that then they'll really just have an unstoppable product um the last bit of stuff to happen around idf was i just casually walked by um what i think was the first haswell e demo um it was a ddr4 demo and that is a uh, memory standard that is expected to be supported by um haswell e and haswell ep uh, so i got to play around with some haswell uh or of uh, some ddr4 dims um, which look a lot like DDR3 dims, but they're kind of, um, the, the pin side isn't like totally flat. Like there's a curve in it, um, to just, I guess, uh, deal with insertion force pressure causing like micro cracks in the actual PCB itself towards the middle. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I, I still need to post those photos. Um, yeah, I saw that. That's pretty cool. It's a slight curve. It's almost unnoticeable, but it's, yeah, there. it's, it's very, very slight. Um, but I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, So that kind of wrapped up IDF. Um, You just got something that was, I thought, really, really cool from Motorola. So tell us about what Motorola sent you. So I got the opportunity to play with uh, an update that
1: basically fixes the camera tuning on the Moto X and dramatically improves uh, photo quality. And, uh, you know, previously I was kind of disappointed in just the quality of the photos that came out. And... You know, they look kind of hazy, and you had the same sort of reaction that the Moto X could be great were it not for the camera. And I see other people, too, other reviewers, saying the same thing. And uh, it's unfortunate because, you know, they spin a lot on the camera, and it's got the right specs on paper, uh, but it just doesn't deliver. So, anyways, this update really fixes a lot of things, and you can do a lot in software. Just tune, you know, your auto exposure algorithm, your white balance, all these other things, noise reduction... And they've really improved everything like outdoors. The haze is almost completely gone. It's like day and night images are much more contrasty. A lot of that is just like they're exposed properly. Uh, White balance is better. Color accuracy seems better. You know, stuff, stuff that a lot of people kind of like looked at and maybe they didn't really know what the problem was, but they were like, this doesn't look right. It looks weird. That's all fixed. And, in low light especially, they used to run really aggressive noise reduction. And now it's it's a lot better. Like it's it's tuned down a lot. So I think these improvements really make the Moto X, you know, maybe not a standout image performer, but much better than it used to be, where that was like a fundamental issue with the device. And uh I'm really impressed by it and hopefully it'll make its way this update to the other operators but uh it's uh it's going out on t-mobile on monday so and uh which is when this posts so hopefully uh you know we'll see that you know play itself out and i'm really impressed and it's not very often that i see a dramatic change in imaging performance with an update like this and uh I mean, it's it's pretty much day and night. Like, there are some samples I have that I was kind of just blown away. So I shot some side-by-sides. And, um, yeah, I'd say that, I mean, that really fixes it. For me, it, like, it fixes the Moto X problem.
0: Yeah, so a couple things stood out to me. One, this is one of the first times that I've seen a a smartphone vendor be so proactive with all of this right with addressing issues really quickly, um, post launch. And, and part of that may be that they, you know, they knew about all of this and they were working on it. They just couldn't get it out for launch. Um, yeah, but two, just the way they engaged you on it, right. They came to you and they were like, Hey, uh, can you play with this and just see what you think? And I'm used to that on the PC side, but unfortunately I just don't see a lot of people doing it in mobile. And so kudos to Motorola. Like I, I was very impressed with the way they handled all of that. Um yeah, and I saw too. your results. Me too. Um I, I saw your results and I thought it, it seems to so both you and I have been carrying around the Moto X for a while and, and that was like my for me, that was the first point with Android. You know, I, I used the the HTC one for a while, then the Galaxy S4. Um I never really committed to either one, even though, like, there were things that I liked about both. Moto X for me was the first time on Android that it was just the right intersection of device size, um, Android version, right? And in this case, you know, it was fairly stock and just kind of everything else about the whole experience that just sort of clicked. And and that was the, I don't know, that was the device that that kind of really pushed me over the edge and, and sold me on on Android. Um, and I just found myself carrying it and just never taking photos because, I don't know. You would always tell me about how bimodal the Moto X's camera performance was. It was very weird. Yeah. I was just always in the worst side of that spectrum, right? Like the performance for me was always terrible. And maybe it's just like the nature of the photos I was taking, but, oh man, it was bad. But so this is, this is super exciting to me. It was really Uh, bad before. Now it's, it's much, much better. I feel like like way better. If they do this, plus if they, they get the pricing down a little bit, um, I think that could be really interesting. And I'm also really excited for what could happen if Motorola were to build, like, a true flagship, right? Yeah. If they if they just went all out and built, like, just an insane phone, um, what that would look like. and And it does give me hope that, I don't know, some good will come out of this. I don't know how much of this is the Google acquisition versus, you know— Motorola is just inherent talent, and not having to worry about focusing on showing up every cycle versus just you know doing what they believe is right. But I I don't know I I have I have faith in it now.
1: Yeah, something was really weird with Motorola cameras in the past, and they just never were that great. But uh, this really seems to improve it dramatically. And I've never really seen an update that really kind of changes the imaging performance almost like it, it wasn't even tuned before. I mean, it makes it look like previously something was really wrong or, (laughs) you know, now it's sort of like a a performer that, you know, I don't know. It's, it's difficult to describe again. They fixed the auto, they fixed the auto exposure. They fixed the white balance. They really turned down noise reduction. So everything doesn't look like an oil painting anymore. And, uh, you know, the, the imaging software itself remains the same, like the UI, which, you know, I kind of want, tap to expose also with tap to focus. And I, I, you know, I don't know if I like all those things still, but, uh, the, the behind the scenes ISP and tuning and all that stuff is just so much better. Now it really is night and day. And in most, most cases,
0: how much of their, the funniness do you think has to do with the fact that they needed, uh, uh, that they were doing some funny conversion before, before hitting a lot um, of it. Yeah. yeah. A lot of it.
1: (laughs) I mean, yeah, to be honest, I think that's, it's probably, they went too early to do that. You know, I would wait for, uh, the ISP on SOC to, you know, catch up and that's, you know, like that's a problem Aptina will have too, or they say they have parts of their imaging pipeline there and, you know, like their solution as well is to have like their own ISP you could bundle that would convert it or, you know, you could also just do it in, in hardware, you know, if you went with this later SOC. So these are problems that everybody will face one at one point or another if they choose to go that way. But uh yeah, obviously some of that was it was just premature. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, that they just learned a lot and you know, maybe they're maybe they saw the reviews come in and everything was like, wow, this really needs to improve and then they spent a lot more time and effort
0: yeah. I mean, either way, whatever whatever caused it, it's it's awesome. I, I like to see that sort of improvement. Um, one question before we get on to the, the next device that you've been playing with. When you shoot on the HTC One, do you shoot in auto or, or do you, do you um, control things like ISO manually?
1: You know, I do primarily auto because the ISO on the One still doesn't work the way I want it to. What do you mean? Uh, it still doesn't actually trigger that ISO. Really, what does it do? It it like treats it as the maximum. Oh, uh, Okay, yeah, 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 you know.
0: But so the reason I can't or is it shoot... minimum?
1: I can't remember. I really just disagree with the way it works and whatever. <laughs> I've had lots of arguments about it still, and so like I just I just don't use it out of principle because it doesn't work like ISO on any
0: other camera. Interesting. So my issue with the one is I feel like in auto mode it aggressively chooses like way too high of an ISO. Hmm. Do you, not, do you not I do not? I don't that? think so. I, well, they don't go nearly low
1: enough. Like, they seem to stick around 100 at lowest. I think the issue is they do have some overexposure when you're outside for whatever reason. And they prioritize, like, freezing motion, you know, so they go for really fast exposures. Yeah. Uh, you know, which admittedly, every I guess the Moto X does too. Again, this is all solved if you give me actual camera controls. Yes. You know, I don't have to, like fundamentally disagree with whatever you've chosen you know like everybody kind of chooses this one one thing or the other way and if you if you don't align with what they want you're kind of screwed forever so you know just if you act if you give me like the 1020 and you know whatever i want and i get to control it then this all is solved but uh you know obviously motorola wants to be kind of like apple on their camera and just have like you pull it out and just start pressing the screen and it takes pictures. <laughs> you know, and that's what? one way and there's other ways too. And I, you know, I guess that fundamental disagreement between do you want a simplified thing or do you want complicated? And I guess it's just sort of a, a philosophical debate. Again, I, you know, they fixed part of the ISO thing. I, to be honest, I remember is that it's just, it doesn't work the way I want it to still. And uh, we're just always going to agree to disagree about it. And, uh, you know, whatever, that's just still like, you kind of
0: everything in life, whatever. I just, I can't fight that battle anymore. So what's interesting to me is, um, because I I remember I was at a, an industry event once and this was after your HTC one review posted. And I had a guy come up to me like a, an analyst, um, press analyst guy. And he came up to me and he was like, the camera on this thing is terrible. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like I you know, I, I don't think the one is perfect. Don't get me wrong. It's great in low light.
1: Obviously, when you're outdoors, there, it could benefit from more resolution. And I think somewhere in between where Apple is and where they are, you're like 1.6 microns, you know, the previous step was 1.65. If you move back up there, that's, you know, again, it goes by the root of two or whatever, almost. yeah, It's a big improvement. And even the 1.5 thing, people are like, oh, 1.4, 1.5, that's almost nothing why we're even talking about it. But again, it's like that's a fifteen percent improvement, you know? Okay, are you really gonna not make a big deal out of that, you know? And then if you couple in the the aperture improvements, I think it's it's somewhere around like thirty to forty overall percent improvement. Exactly. So, well, it's, you know, like these things add up, and when people are like, "Oh, you know, it's just almost nothing," I'm like, "Well, it's almost nothing is how you get to like really crappy imaging performance." So. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: Well, so what was interesting about that is, you know, he came up to me and he was like, hey, the camera on this thing sucks. And I, oh, I was also carrying my one at that time. And he was like, so he pulled his out and showed me some photos. And then I pulled mine out and showed him some photos. And what I found was that he was taking these, you know, fairly low light shots. And what he didn't like was the amount of noise that was introduced by, you know, and, and you explained this really well, HTC does prioritize uh, shutter speed. And to get there, they'll, like, whatever, they'll crank everything up until they can get enough light, and then, you know, they'll, they'll hit the shutter speed target that they want to hit. And unfortunately, in that process, I find that there's, like, a certain subset of scenes that just get way too much, like, weird noise in them. Um, so I took his phone out right then, and, like, I, I dropped the – I manually set the ISO a bit lower and, and showed him the quality of the photo, and he was totally pleased. But it's just something that's been bothering me lately with, with their auto mode. Um, and I understand why they've decided that, but it's it's just... Uh, yeah, well, I, I, if- I totally agree with you. I mean,
1: I've had this discussion. So, uh, you know, I will, again, if you treat me like an adult and give me real controls, then uh, <laughs> the problem goes away. Like, I don't have to beg you to tune it differently. Yeah. Like, I can do it myself, you know? <laughs> so... Uh, that's that's a just like an overall problem, you know. And yeah, uh, so I, well, let's I don't know talk about the one. You. I agree with
0: you. So let's let's talk about the one phone that does give you control, right? Lumia ten twenty. You've had that for a while. What, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I like it. It's not a reason for me to carry Windows phone still. I think, and I think that's Nokia's problem too. Is that it's like, uh, you know there's an issue with you have to kind of now it's microsoft's problem right yeah (laughs) you have to balance (laughs) platform usability with the the features around it that people want and you know obviously nokia really has the best camera there's no argument about that like it's the best camera in a phone period other than maybe the 808 but you know you have to you have to take what comes with it and uh you know, again, I really like it. There, I, I want to review it. I think the issue is like for me, it's really hard to use Windows Phone, and the battery life <laughs> testing on it is still kind of an issue. And I don't know. It's. I think I agree with you that we should just do it as a as a phone. You know, and be like Windows Eight is unchanged. Windows Phone Eight is unchanged. Just go read this. Yeah. And do it just, as a camera. You mean? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Because I I
0: don't. I... I don't know. So the discussion Brian and I had privately was that, look, Microsoft is clearly not willing to treat Windows Phone seriously, right? Like it's, it's not, and it all boils down to the same thing. So you're never going to beat Apple and Google if you use slower hardware and update on a slower cadence and just that's it. Like that's, no one ever wins by just being worse at both of those things, right? You have to ship on the best hardware, on better hardware than your 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 competition. And you got to update more frequently, right? You have to be out innovating them. And and Microsoft has done neither with Windows Phone. And so the discussion internally is, well, like if they're not going to take it seriously, then I don't know that it makes sense for us to spend so much time on it, right? And and it sucks to even think about it that way, but I feel like Windows Phone 7 was like a a a political play internally to Microsoft, right? Let's push this thing out there, show a little bit of success, and then get kind of build that internal collateral that we can go off and push Metro into more places. Right. And then they did that. And then they went back and they said, Yeah, you know, all you Windows Phone 7 users are kind of screwed because you know we're gonna move to Windows Phone 8 and and you guys won't have a path to get there. Um and, and we get to Windows Phone 8, and it's still sort of that, yeah we're not really leveraging any of the real strengths we have as a company. You know, we give you like a a crappy version of Xbox experience on here, and this isn't the same platform as as Windows to begin with, really. Like there's some like kernel similarities and stuff, but it's, I don't know, it's still this kind of bastardized platform that, that is not given the respect that it's, it's due from Microsoft. Yeah, I mean, we've, so, we've ragged on Windows Phone
1: enough. I think it's the same story. I mean, like it's unchanged is the problem yeah and uh you know i i just don't know what to say about it like i like i like the lumia 1020 a lot i think the other problem is at&t exclusivity you know i there are a couple people i know who are like i really want that i don't do anything but text and i want a good camera but is it on verizon and then the answer is no and then it's like oh well i guess i'm getting the htc1 you know yeah or or something else you know like whatever and uh you know, that's a problem. Maybe maybe now Microsoft will have the, the buy in to go into those pitches and say no you're not. But uh you know that Nokia didn't. So maybe that's a positive. I think that's that's a part of this problem. The the issue for me is just that yeah, I, I um it's a it's a large it's a number of things. Like it's not just one single thing you can point at. Yeah. But I I mean obviously but- it's the best camera. It's like I'm not gonna argue any
0: that it's not. It's the best camera, period. So if you if so for someone who who is fine with Windows Phone, if if they're like your friend and all just they they just want a great camera and great texting experience, boom, you're done. That's that's the phone again.
1: Yeah, I mean, I told someone yesterday that you know, I mean, it is the best. This period, it takes great
0: photos. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so there's another phone that you've actually been pretty impressed with that you recently got U.S. versions of. You've been playing with the LG G2. Yeah, LG gets
1: us, you know, samples really early. Uh, played with the International G2 for a long time. Uh, got the U.S. versions. We ran the battery life tests on it. Have to post about that still. I I like the G2. I know for for whatever reason, there's been more arguing online about the G2 than, like, any other device. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because, you know, like, G, LG is just an easier you know, like target to pick on and you're not worried about like maybe not getting samples from them.
0: You know, if, that's if true. they are a lot They're they are a lot. Um, they're very passive to deal with.
1: Yeah. So I feel like, okay, you know, like we'll just like let it all out there. You know, I don't know what the deal is, but for whatever reason stuff that has literally been unchanged since like the past couple LG phones, all of a sudden is a problem. But for <laughs> me, the LG G2 is great because like it has a big battery to screen ratio it's my first experience with an eighty nine seventy four phone. It has OIS. You know, it's got a big five point two inch screen. that's LG's own. Uh, battery life is really good. I don't. You know, like I don't know what to say about it. The stuff that I when I carried it, I was like, this is great. This is excellent. You know, I don't. If you can get over LG skin, you know, which which isn't that hard. You know, honestly, if you stare at TouchWiz, like you can pretty much stare at this, then uh, it's totally survivable. Which, I guess, isn't the most glowing recommendation ever, like, just being (laughs) survivable. But, you know, at least LG's gimmicks work. You know, like, the tap-tap thing to turn it on works. You know, tap-tap, turn on, tap-tap, turn off. The buttons on the back, like, actually work well, too. Uh, OIS, it's there. It works. You know, I mean, I did a comparison between it. It's not super strong. I think there's there's a lot of uh, OIS variances.
0: Yeah, so I was going to ask you about
1: that. How does it compare to the OIS and the HTC One?
0: I'd say those two are pretty
1: similar. Yeah, okay. the One and the G2 are pretty similar. You know, and even the even the um, 1020, is it struggles a little bit because it's a very big sensor. They have to move around. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's there. It, it, it definitely helps. So I don't know why we want to rip on something that obviously has got, like, better platform, better software, better camera, but it's got a weird skin on it and... Anyways, I really like it. For whatever reason, I've spent the last like two weeks just arguing nonstop about this.
0: And <laughs> but you, I mean, I I saw it um, when when we were in San Francisco, and it didn't feel huge. Um, no, it doesn't. And all the data that you published looks really good. The display data looks really good. Um, uh, obviously, performance looks really good. What's interesting to me is if you combine the performance data you posted on the G2 and you look at the leaked Nexus five performance data, I think we're beginning to get an understanding of what Snapdragon 800 in a phone will perform like versus in a tablet. Um, and it's obviously still really good. Like it's, it's the, you know, better than Snapdragon 600.
1: Yeah. I mean, we got a new process, so I'm excited. I think the battery life is going to be really good. You know, the yeah. battery life in the G2 is already pretty good. Um, uh, smaller battery i mean you can just almost guess and like do your you know, it's, it goes linearly and figure out what the battery life is going to be in the other one i mean we'll publish the lt results but um uh, i don't know i thought it's pretty darn good you know and the the camera is is also very good i think 13 megapixels with ois is an interesting combination and you know it it works out pretty well for them so we'll we'll see uh, the yeah it makes me excited about the nexus even though the nexus technically isn't supposed to be based on the g2 uh it's based on the verizon one which is technically a different platform but i so i guess i got a little confused when i was kind of like communicated that it wasn't based on the g2 it's it's close but not really um and i guess we'll see finally you know it's got a different size display probably it's got it obviously doesn't have the buttons on the back you know based (laughs) on the photos so um you know i think it's interesting i think um maybe this time with the LTE bands the way they are it'll get the attention it deserves and do you think um do you think they'll be able to pull off a $300 price point i would hope so i mean it has to be i would hope that they they don't regress a lot i mean they regressed a little bit on the tablet i wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit of regression on the phone
0: but uh so maybe like 350 or something yeah but i mean nothing to go crazy about no i mean i think that i think if you give me an unlocked um i own it outright lgg2 derived nexus 5 you know with kitkat on it for 350 bucks i think that's a i think that's a really good deal
1: yeah me too i'm excited about it i think i'm i'm more excited about it than i was before you know and i carried the g2 as my daily like the whole time i was at uplink on into the next week and uh i was very impressed by it that's know? good yeah, and, maybe, and LG's that's, in- maybe that's somewhat just because, like, it was new silicon and that's cool to play with. But it was actually just, like, an all-around good device, too. You know, and the skin is what it is. Like, this isn't anything new. I remember even the, what is it, the LG, the G2, G2X. What was that? Optimus 2X, when I had that. Mm-hmm. Remember, and even before that Optimus, you know, I mean, after that Optimus 3D. It's like the same skin, so there's nothing really new there. It's kind of always been the same problems, which I guess doesn't mean there's anything wrong with criticizing it. But it's just like to me, it's not news. Um, I don't know. All the skins suck, like in some way or other. But at least the G2 stuff sort of works. You know, like their gimmicks, like the multi-screen thing, you know, like that works. I guess you know Samsung has that too. I I don't know how I feel about all that stuff. I mean, there are some parts of the UI that need fixing, like I don't like the blue color or you know, like the font change, you know, but I I mean, there's worse, there's definitely worse out there.
0: I, I think, you know, LG also benefits from the same things that Samsung does there, right? Where a lot of those features are easy to advertise and someone who is, you know, it's so funny, like there's, there's all this. That's said about, you know, people selling phones based on specs, but it's, it's actually the other way around, right? A lot of these guys are selling phones based on just like checkbox features, yes, right? And, yeah. and I think if you, uh, which are not at all derived on specs, like it's just like whatever we can do this now in software. So we're doing it. Um, and I, and I feel like someone who is coming in and shopping based on, you know, what features do you have checked? I I think, you know, LG is going to get that uplift as well. And LG is just kind of an interesting company to talk about because they do have that. uh, They are very Samsung-like in that they have, you know, they own more than just the final device.
1: Yeah. Battery, camera, module, and um, display
0: at least. Yep. And they've been rumored for quite a while that they're like even considering building their own SoC, which I think would be really interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, they built that one for their TV or whatever. Remember? Yeah. So,
0: yeah. I mean, I think they're an interesting player. I wouldn't
1: write them off. And I, honestly, I think the last couple of hardware devices have been great. Like the Nexus Four was great. I liked the Optimus G. I thought G Pro was good. I think they stepped up their game. You know? Yeah. And it's it it's seems good like... to have variety, if nothing else. Like if you're just if you only want one player to win, it's just going to end terribly for everybody.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, no. Yeah, I think it's good, and I think it's it caught me off guard to see you this pleased with the g2 um and also like i, I, I was think actually it's
1: perfect yeah like the materials you know it picks up fingerprints whatever it's plastic okay but you know the rest of it is excellent the buttons feel great you know really the only things you can say are like the the plasticky back thing that picks up grease really fast in like the skin you know yeah and thankfully both of those are going to go away with the nexus so what are you going to do
0: yeah i don't know i'm really excited about the nexus um and and if it's if it's similar in size to the g two i i think that that won't too that won't be bad um yeah me yeah. either okay so then the last thing on the list um we got a new apple s o c and obviously new iphones um so I don't know, I guess we start with iPhone 5C, then go into A7 and, and iPhone 5S. So iPhone 5C is the long-rumored um, cheap iPhone, uh, which I thought was hilarious that people were just expecting it to be this, like, $99, you know, go in and just, like, compete in the low-end China market, when that's just not how Apple works, ever, in any of its segments. I suspected that, though, almost a little bit, too. Like, I wanted it to be the cheap one. Even though C yeah. stands for
1: color, I always thought C stood for, like, cheapened.
0: <laughs> cost reduced. No. But that's I mean I look at it like um you know cuz they they they've always had this kind of three or not always but you know in recent history they've had this three generation strategy right where you buy you know the flagship at 199 on contract you know the previous gen flagship at 99 and then the one before that for free. And I think if you look at where they were going in terms of uh device cost and materials quality once you kind of hit iPhone 4S, you were going to start putting yourself in kind of a really, really bad spot in, you know, another year or so where you were going to have to start offering these phones effectively free on contract that were, you know, one more generation that were just made out of metal and glass. And I think they look at that and then they're like, well, this is this is unsustainable, right? Like we're not going to be able to do this really well. Um, and and actually, if you look at the the timeline, it would make sense for them to do it alongside iPhone 5. But but you know we whatever we got it a year later, um, yeah. Well, I right because the, the
1: five design is just too expensive to go into this n minus one thing.
0: Yeah, well, not even that, but it has to go into n minus two as well, right? Sure. Like I think that's the killer. Um, and if you look at it, it would just be one more year. Then the five would be free with contract, right? And that that would I don't know from a cost standpoint that that definitely can't be cheap. Um, so whatever they introduced the five C, which is largely the five. Um, with obviously it's a polycarbonate shell, so you know Apple goes back to a plastic based chassis um, but otherwise, you get the same s o c from the five the same cellular connectivity, same wi fi connectivity, same display, pretty much everything is the same um same amount of memory, same amount of storage you don't get a sixty four gig option um and then of course you you do get it in all these other colors um, and a bigger and battery you, yes it's like, it's like a five percent larger battery um and it and doesn't you, have
1: the earpiece noise cancellation or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that's actually the the last thing that I have to test. I've been spending a lot of time characterizing like uh, memory footprint of applications, but uh, yeah, it, you lose the earpiece noise cancellation. Um, but otherwise, it's it's totally a substitute good for the iPhone five, in my opinion. Um, and it feels great, like it's it's a you know it it is a, a very glossy polycarbonate shell, so you do pick up fingerprints. Um, but they got that like steel frame inside which you were the first to point out that it it the difference isn't plastic versus metal the difference is does it have flex and this device doesn't flex and part of that is apple doesn't since this is the truly their mid-range or not flagship device it doesn't have to be as thin as, as possible and as a yeah. result they can they can make it thinner and they can make it a little more sturdy um but people i showed it to I mean, you know, even Manny, like he was like, I, I actually prefer this to the five. Like he he prefers really? the the in hand feel to the five. Um I like the rounded
1: edges. I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't carry it. I don't I would never buy it. Like I don't know why you would buy it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean the only the only thing that I can think of is someone who um if you were on an older iPhone and you were gonna whatever, you were gonna upgrade to the the five once it hit N minus one status anyways. Um like I think it's it's a substitute good for the five. Um and What's I guess to me it, is like I don't think people wait in line for the five C. No, not at all. Right? Like it's, But it's, it's the five C that they're advertising everywhere. So that's clearly the one they want you to buy. Well, because I think it's – you pointed this out, right? One, it's likely a much better cost structure than anything they've ever shipped before. Oh, yeah. Right? So they're they're, – or or at least in recent history. So their margin per device is probably really good, which is why they want to drive people to it. And two, I think we've been seeing this trend in sort of – one, the smartphone business is – it's maturing, right? So it's slowing down. And you know, whereas you go back to 2007, 2008, every year pretty much everyone who had a smartphone – you know, was at least tempted to buy another one, like the next one that came out. Yeah. I feel like that's slowing, right? I'm seeing people that are carrying around two, three-year-old smartphones and they're just happy with it, right? They can last another year. Um, whereas if you go back to, you know, that kind of 3GS time frame when that was a little more rare to find. Um, there are more of the so, enthusiasts anyways. Exactly. So I, I feel like there's this conscious play towards... Color and customization, right? And that's clearly something that you can kind of only address from Apple with the five C. I think it's totally a mainstream play. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. And well, it's,
1: there's a lot of shared stuff between them, so I'm sure they're getting good pricing on all sorts of stuff, and that's really what drives them to, you know, be able to make it a really good margin product. I mean, obviously, and then there's no metal in the external chassis, so. You know, whatever. If there are some flaws on the internal thing, it's not the end of the world. It's yeah. not as tight of a
0: tolerance. Well, so that was also interesting that you pointed that out, right? That they they do have. It's not it's not a truly common hardware platform, but there's a lot of commonality between the five C and the five S. And I kind of wonder if that's what we're going to see going forward, right? Yeah, so I wonder that
1: too if they're going to update all the all that stuff on lockstep now.
0: Because, like, they I, you know, again, there's a. Uh, from a, a, a parts acquisition standpoint, there's definitely a reason to want to ship the same hardware in both.
1: I think it's yeah the software uh, upkeep of those different you know platform components. Um, that's a big it's a big cost that doesn't necessarily get factored in.
0: And there's just the sheer like volume of ordering, right? if you can go to a supplier and say no i want I want x yep. I want two x the number of whatever wi fi radios, and I just need this one part like it's it's just easier for everyone involved,
1: yeah, I think that you know obviously it was probably getting tough at some point to just keep getting the old ones. I almost yeah. wonder whether that wasn't the case, but uh, I'm sure it's just entirely a volume play, which is why you see that that commonality across both cellular and Wi-Fi on both of them. Like the entire RF side is just the same, which is really interesting to me, but I mean, it's not a huge deal for a consumer. Okay.
0: So that, that, that takes us to the five S right. And, and the five S obviously it it takes the platform from the five. It takes the, the chassis from the five updates it with new colors, you know, space gray looks pretty cool, you know, likely designed to kind of reduce the amount of, uh, (laughs) or, or address the scuff gate issues from before. um, And you know, you get new gold, which I thought the uh, scuffed
1: up black iPhone 5s looked pretty cool though, after a while.
0: Yeah, you always say that, right? Because like I have a scuffed up black iPhone 5, but to me, I guess because I've been living it, living with it, I'm just like, this looks, this just looks scuffed up. (laughs) Whereas like I can look in patina, like I would
1: buy one, just rock tumble it, you know, like mask (laughs) off the screen, rock tumble it, make it look like it'd been through hell. Yeah, that could look really cool, you know, like kind of an aged thing. I don't know. Yeah,
0: that's true. So, whatever, they have the space gray, which they seem to have ordered in tons of quantity, and, um, you know, it lightens some of the surfaces, which, you know, maybe minimizes the appearance of of scratches and scuffs on it. Um, And then they have the new gold one, which I still want someone to build a gold chain and case that I can just wear that around.
1: Yeah, me too. I'm surprised it's not on Kickstarter. And, you know, I'm surprised there are so few gold ones. Like... And then you saw the speculation that was intentional, like some stores only got five, some stores only got three. Like I think Best Buy didn't get any gold ones. So it's like, is the gold one more rare? But it's like, at the same time, that's the canonical new color to buy. Like why would you not have thousands of gold ones?
0: So everyone that I've told about, like everyone who I know who wanted to get an iPhone 5S, I would tell them all to buy gold and they would all make fun of me and really? i almost wonder yeah absolutely gold is the only acceptable color i'm sorry i i literally there isn't a single person that i've told to get gold um who even takes me seriously but i thought I mark that.
1: wanted gold
0: no no i told him like could you uh yeah like i uh, my friend mark i was like oh what color do you get and he was like all they had was black um but did he and, want and gold and I, I asked him called if
1: it he... champagne too calling it gold i was shocked by like i thought they were really gonna call it champagne Yeah, the shit's much classier to call it champagne. Then it's like a luxury item.
0: Calling it gold,
1: it's like, eh, you know, like it's kind of tacky. Even though the color isn't tacky, you know? I don't know. I said you know like 30 times there, and I need to stop doing that. But (laughs) I'm just excited about the gold color because I want the gold (laughs) color because we've hyped it up so much between us two. And that's the only
0: acceptable color, and I won't accept any other color than gold. (laughs) So I, I, like, the thing that draws me to gold is just that it's just different from all the other phones that I've seen, right? Um, But if I were, if, you know, I only get one phone every four years, I I don't know if I would want gold to be the color. I can... You know,
1: iOS 7 just doesn't look right on the black iPhones, and it's so much the case, that is so much the case that Apple even knows it, and in their screenshots for iOS 7, it's on a white iPhone. Like, go to the website, go to iOS 7. There's not a single black iPhone. Like it looks wrong because there's so much there's so much white space that's just white, and it doesn't look right against like
0: the black bezel. You know, I have so to I'm say really this. Surprised by it. No, I have to say this. Like the minute this stuff gets announced, right? Brian turns to me and like well, maybe not the minute. Within within two hours of it being announced, Brian's like, hey you know, iOS 7 is clearly made for the iPhone 5C. Like that's, those two are are meant to be together or whatever. And I hear the words and they don't, like, they don't, I don't understand. They don't, like, he just said words. I know all the words, but it doesn't make any sense to me. Right? Like, why is the iPhone 5C any more married to iOS 7 or more the ideal platform for it than the 5S? Right. And then, you know, a week goes by and I don't know, I don't even know what I was doing, but it just hit me. And I'm like, oh, he's totally right. Like it's, it's.
1: Like I've designed them totally to go together, and the five s is just kind of like an also ran like he had to keep doing it
0: yeah and and that's that's it's very true, and it's funny because if you if you combine that with some of the executive interviews that have happened post um post launch, I don't remember if it was Tim Cook or ive or or which one of them said it, but it was basically akin to you know we try to build the right products, not you know what everyone else thinks we should build or or what have you. And I look at that and I think, you know, if that were the case, if that were truly the case, I feel like they would have broke tradition. They would have broken the cycle and released the bigger phone this year instead of waiting another year. Like, I, I think if, if you really, really believe that, then you say, you know what? We're we're not going to subsidize this platform two generations in a row, and we're we're pulling in the other one because that's the right thing to do.
1: That's what I keep uh, wishing would have happened. If they had done that, they'd be in a very different position right now.
0: Well, so it's interesting. Like I talked to you know I, our mutual friend Mark here, and I was like, hey, um, you know, we were arguing about iOS versus Android, and I mentioned the screen size uh, the screen size argument, and he wouldn't hear it at all. He was like, "No, you're just wrong. You are absolutely wrong," and so I I, maybe I I agree with that. Well, I obviously don't agree with it, but I'm wondering if uh, so. My theory was that a lot of the the kind of the top of the pyramid, a lot of the enthusiast users have started to kind of bump into the four inch screen size limitation, and they start to look elsewhere, and they say. Hey, you can actually fit a big screen into a similar size device. And I go to the Moto X as the perfect example. It's not that much bigger than an iPhone five, but it's a huge screen by comparison, right? Right. Like it's, so I look at that and I'm like, look, it's clearly possible to do this. And I feel like at the enthusiast level, you have a lot of people that are willing to kind of explore and be frustrated, but I feel like that hasn't yet hit that mainstream or the segment right below the enthusiasts in the pyramid. And I feel like that's the only reason why this, this kind of even works.
1: I don't know, I just I think there are a lot of people that I talk to and I don't know, it's sort of like biased sampling, but they the screen size thing is starting to be an issue. And it is. I just and can't I, help I th- but feel like they have all this power and all this performance, but like I have to enjoy it through a really tiny little glowing rectangle. Yeah. And it's no it, it's like you know, it's things become easier like typing and Especially games, you know. My, there's my thumbs stay the same size, but there's less fraction of the
0: screen that I'm covering with my thumbs.
1: Yeah, and that's no, that's it, a big limitation.
0: Well, it's 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 everything, right? Like I remember. So again, I'm sitting next to Brian. They they announced Infinity Blade three, and they talk about like all the new features, like visual features that they put in there. And Brian turns to me, and he's like. Yeah, and you get to see it all on like the tiniest screen possible, <laughs> and yeah. it's true. And I'm sitting here, and I'm and uh, Brian Lamb actually tweeted at me um, recently, and he was like, uh, "That's what I'm hearing. That even with all the Infinity Blade like visual enhancements, it's difficult to see." And it's just it's it is true when to I see. when I screen grab them and I, I blow them up at at you know full res on like a big monitor, I, it's very obvious, right? Like you can see the anti aliasing, you can see the improvement in texture quality. But on that screen, it's very subtle and it can't make things easier. And then on top of that, like, you know, I talked about this in our battery life analysis. There are some workloads that are just purely bound by how big of that battery is, right? You look at our GL bench workload, you look at the call time test and on the same hardware, like, you know, the Apple, the the iPhone five, iPhone five S, they just don't do as well on the call phone on the call time test because they don't, they don't have a huge battery. Yeah. Right. Like there's. There's only so much optimization you can do there, you know, in hardware and software when it just boils down to if you've got a tiny battery, you've got a tiny battery. Um, yeah, and, and there's I, are I, problems that they're going to just maybe, they, you know, they've already bumped into basically. Yes. And I feel like it's kind of, it's guaranteed. I, I think without a doubt next year we, we see a larger device. Um, the question is, I just is it too late?
1: I think increasingly the, I mean, obviously it isn't for Apple, but if you were another player... You can't really yes. afford to miss more than one cycle and they should have brought in engineering. I I guess it's kind of crazy because we got two new iPhones so it's like do you really expect them to make three? Yeah. Because essentially that's what would happen is, you know, they'd be well, dumping
0: one so it's more engineering talent and I what do you think about the iPad foring it, right? So doing a a mid-cycle upgrade. I think that that would be that'd be awesome. Cuz I look at it and I'm like, well, if you wanted to wait 12 months, you're going to do another... I think it's
1: exactly what we said. The yearly cadence
0: on a long in the long term will kill them. But see, okay, so here's the thing. I don't mind a yearly cadence, but you just have to ship the right product each time. Yeah, but that, then it's a guessing
1: game. It's like you need to have perfect product planning for a whole year. And a whole year is like an eternity
0: in this thing. Yeah, but that the thing is the market is slowing down, right? And... What are you going to argue for? If you don't do a year, do you argue for six months? For nine months? I would say six months, yeah. Six to nine.
1: Yeah, I guess nine is okay. That's still close to a year,
0: though. Maybe six. Yeah, I feel like if you if you do it right, because right, look at it yeah. this way. If you Look at it this way. If they had come out with a 802.11ac LC- LTE, um, LTE Advanced larger screen device, would you argue that they need to follow up with another one six to nine months later?
1: No. Well, I mean, it's like if they nailed the device, then yeah, like like you said, why refresh it? Yeah. But if they haven't and they know it, then you'll see an update.
0: But so that tells me that, because again, I look at this as Intel had this exact same problem, right? So what did they do? They built this performance modeling group that went, and their job is, okay, let's say you're working at our competition. What device or, or what chip are you going to build? And then they just target it above that by 10% each time, right? That's how you win. And I feel like that's what's missing here, right? If you have a good performance and competitive analysis group that has direct access to feed its results back into product design, then this doesn't become a problem, sure. right? And like, that's the well, right they're, way they're, to- Well, they're not used to doing it because they're always
1: leading. That's what exactly. they would say.
0: No, and I think that's a valid argument for them, right? Like you look at their-, their uh, But is Apple a leader or are they a fast follower-
1: now, um, there's an interesting discussion. <laughs> you want to get well, so, a lot of hate mail, ask that no, one.
0: No, so I, I think if there's something that's in between the two, because I don't think if you look at the iPhone, that came out well after you know at least one smartphone revolution. So they're clearly not a fast follower. Um, sure. But there's they're some sort of a and, – and I didn't go to business school, right? So I don't know what the term is for this. But they're, they are a follower that just kind of waits for the intersection of a lot of technologies. Um, right. Yeah. And, and they do a good job of capitalizing on that. But I, I think iOS seven is the first example of they're just in a different world now, right? Like they have, you look at the iPhone five and the, I remember when they signed that five year exclusivity deal with AT&T and everyone was like, Oh my God, that's forever. Yeah. But it kind of took those five years for everyone else to catch up and, and really start challenging or even surpassing iOS in a lot of areas. And Right, because if you look at Android in those five years, by the end of those five years, Android looked very, very different. Yes. Um, so, yeah, they're in this kind of weird space where I, I think they've never had to be in this position before. Um, no, I agree. And I, I, I think that that display give me a slightly larger display, and I'm really curious to see what they would do with it, right? Would they do a, Would they do a third iPhone? Would they get rid of this platform, right, and still stick with two? I
1: I don't know. I mean, these are good questions. I would say that probably they would stick with two.
0: So the the they basically have a four inch and then they have like a four point whatever inch. Um, and I would want five. Yeah, just go to five. Make an even number. So well, then the next question is: If they go to five, do you go with or without the physical home button? Because a five inch screen with See, a physical yeah, home the thing, button is they
1: waste all this space on like having a home button and then it's mirrored at the top. Yeah, I d- I think long term. Well, they just did. They just they just put a touch sensor inside the home button. So clearly they they want to reuse that, or they feel very strongly about having a a you know a home button.
0: That's yeah, what but threw a wrench
1: you... into my my
0: like uh, my reasoning that it would go away. Yeah, I was trying to think if there's any way that they would just integrate that because it's still it's a capacitive sensor, right? Like. Sure. It would be a kind of a pain in the ass, but like <laughs> you could technically integrate that into something that wasn't a physical button. Um, yeah, like part of the display
1: or like a little region somewhere. Yeah. I think ultimately, yeah, the aspect ratio of the iPhone is starting to get in the way of bigger display. And, well, because um,
0: someone, someone sent me a mock-up of this, right, where they did a 5-inch phone, but they kept the proportions the same. And it ended up being like... something inches wide right which is wider than galaxy s4 and i I just don't see apple going that big so maybe like 4.7 around there yeah 4.7 so it ends up being the size of a galaxy s4 because they keep the the proportions the same
1: yeah around there i think that's plenty big
0: you know they don't have to do like a note you know they don't have to do like ipad mini size uh, and then phone. the obvious benefit is you get a, a larger battery, and you know we talked about the downsides of iPhone having smaller battery, but the upside is they make really really efficient use of that battery.
1: Yeah, they've always been really efficient about it. You yeah, because they're so willing to throw more silicon at it, isn't? Because they don't have this business model where everybody has to make a profit on every single little thing. Exactly.
0: Yeah, it's 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 funny that like you know they've kind of standardized at around a hundred millimeters square for. You know, they're they're phone SOCs. And if you talk to anyone from the PC space, they just like, they laugh at it and they're like, oh, that's so stupid because that's kind of the target for a mainstream like x86 CPU. Like 120 was the sweet sweet spot for a lot of those guys. Uh And, you know, these are CPUs that they were selling for like 150 bucks. And here's a, a device that Apple obviously doesn't make any money on, like a, the the silicon itself. right? Um, but it just shows a complete difference in mentality, right? Like that they don't care. They're like, whatever, this is just what we have to ship. Sure, sure. Um, so then on the silicon side, obviously uh, iPhone 5S integrates A7, which uh, A6 was pretty bold because that was you know their first microarchitecture. And A7, I don't want to say completely throws out the old design, but it is clear that it's substantially different. Um so it moves to armv V8. Uh so with ARM V8, you get uh the ability to work in 64-bit mode. You also get uh when you're in 64-bit mode, you get new um SIMD extensions, you get new uh cryptographic extensions, uh these are instructions, uh, not extensions, uh because it's it's a separately, it's a physically different ISA. Um so you get all this stuff that speeds up performance, and you know you obviously build uh support for more memory addressability. Uh at the architectural level, there are big changes um, significant reduction in L2 cache latency. Uh, they doubled the size of the L1 cache. Um, so now there's as much L1 cache per core, uh, with Cyclone, which is the the name of the new core. Swift was the last one as much L1 cache in Cyclone as, you know, as AMD puts in its, its K7 derived core, uh, K7 derived cores. Um, Apple called it desktop like CPU performance um I, I think that's a bit of a misnomer because it's not it's not sandy Ivy or have or, or haswell level of performance but we showed it's within striking distance of bay trail um and i know this has caused a little bit of drama um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know because we we showed some numbers and compared them to numbers that we ran at intel on bay trail and in some cases uh in some cases bay trail does better and in some cases you know this dual core a7 outperforms or, or does better than this quad-core Baytrail. Uh, and then Intel responded publicly, and, and they were like, no, 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 those are lower scores, and, and they showed even higher ones. But I, I think the the takeaway here isn't whether or not it's faster than Baytrail. It's that we can have a conversation about Apple's phone SOC in yeah. the same sentence as Baytrail. Like, I think that's the... Yeah, whether or not the sh- they
1: win by, like, a couple percent, I mean, that's just
0: such a... That's like a we-need-to-win... Whatever. I mean, congrats. Yeah, I mean, I think okay. I think overall, like, if you look at where Baytrail can clock and, uh, you know, all of the advancements there, I, I think the fastest Baytrail skew, undoubtedly, is going to be faster on CPU performance. But the fact that we can even have this debate is such a huge deal, right? Because we started this podcast talking about how— and the other
1: thing was that Apple beat until the 64 a bit
0: on mobile. Yes. You know? I mean— and <laughs> That's just like super disappointing to me, yeah. right? Because it's and I understand like some of that is not within Intel's control, right? But that's just a highlight of what is wrong on the PC side, yeah, right? Because like Microsoft, you well, know, it's it not Intel.
1: Just in Android too. I mean, Dalvik doesn't have sixty-four bit yet, so
0: yeah, it'd be a waste anyways. But I, I look at it and you know, it's it's uh, Intel can't ship. You know, obviously Silvermon is sixty-four bit capable, but the first Bay devices won't be because. Windows uh, Microsoft doesn't have a 64-bit connected standby version of Windows 8 yet. Um but it's just it's just it's a letdown from kind of that entire ecosystem. Not that it matters, right? Not that we need 64-bit there now. Um right. but it's just it's just funny that this is the Not situation I need where it and, in the
1: phone. I need the 4 gigs of RAM though, man. Exactly. No,
0: no, I see that was the thing that was interesting to me. Um, I remember when they finally announced the 64-bit stuff, I was like, well, are they going to go all the way and, and integrate more memory? Um, but obviously, no, it, it still has the same one gig of RAM. Um, and th- that's actually – so that's what I've been working on right now. Um, we, we've demonstrated there's clear performance advances. Um, you know, Apple said up to 2x. In reality, I've seen as low as 0%. Right If you look at the three d mark physics test, which is a CPU bound test, um, I originally thought it was a bug with with 3D mark and iOS seven um, the 3D mark guys are just saying that no, I mean we don't see any reason why you know you would see a performance regression, but basically there's no performance gain on on that CPU test uh-huh. from Swift to Cyclone. Then you have browser mark, which I think is a a really interesting benchmark because it's a more conservative browser like holistic browser based performance test, and there you show a twenty five percent uplift. Uh, over Swift, so I, I think that's that's on the conservative end. You're either going to see no gain or maybe you know like a marginal gain um, in terms of user experience. And then at the other end, like we're showing some numbers that are you know over two and a half times faster. So I, I, I don't know. My takeaway was uh, even parts of iOS I think aren't ready for this much performance. Right? Like yeah. they just. There, there's a lot to it, and and that's where I think you could actually push the five C on a lot of people, and they would be okay initially. Um, I think in the long run, that added performance—you know—if you're going to keep your phone for like three or four years, it's going to come in handy. It'll probably give you another year worth of useful updates onto it um, versus like the five or five C. Uh, yeah, that's why what I wouldn't been... buy
1: the five C. I mean, what kind of investment is that? You're just selling off. I mean, unless you're going to you know upgrade immediately. I guess. Yeah,
0: exactly. Well, so then the. The other part, you know, I said all of that and a lot of people came back. I, I saw one discussion actually on Twitter that was basically like, would you go for a 32-gig 5C versus a 16-gig 5S? And for me, the answer was, well, obviously you go 5S and just leverage cloud storage. But for a lot of people who, one, aren't going to see the performance difference initially, um, and let's say they, they're, they're stuck on having local storage – I don't know. It, it's an interesting debate. And then the other thing that I didn't get a chance to talk about, but I've been working a lot on right now is, yes, with the 5S, you get you know all this additional CPU headroom, but you don't actually get any more memory. Yeah. And what I've been working on characterizing lately is how much of a, a memory overhead is there for running 64-bit apps, right? Because your pointer size doubles.
1: I've been wondering, um, too, about universal binary size is going to go up. I mean, Didn't we do this on the OS ten On the X86 side. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. And uh, I mean, they doubled the size of the, uh, the the cellular app download limit from fifty to hundred megs. But how much of that gets eaten up by you know? Now I have a thirty-two bit binary and sixty-four bit binary.
0: Yeah, that's true. That is true. I, I don't. I don't know. Um, I haven't done that level of analysis at all yet. Um, what I have done is I, I think I've characterized how much more memory sixty-four um, bit uses in general. Um, from what I've seen thus far, you're looking at at the low end, um, you know, you just take a cleanly booted machine uh, or a device, uh, you're looking at another 20% memory usage um, huh. on, on the 64-bit build of iOS 7 versus 32. And I've seen that grow as much as 30%. And, and again, so I'm unfortunately, I'm limiting to, or I'm reporting, uh, what do they call it? I'm reporting physical memory used, right? Which includes both clean and dirty memory. So some of that can be freed up. Uh, and I'm minimizing the amount of dirty by, uh, by effectively quitting everything and then doing a hard reset and just launching an application and and profiling and then, you know, going on from there. But yeah, you're looking at like a a 20 to 30% overhead. Now the good news is on the iPhone five, you didn't always run into that one gig limit. So another 20 to 30% isn't really gonna, that's not going to be a huge problem. Yeah. Um, but, but they it, should have added more more RAM, though. Exactly. Maybe. If they added, I mean, they would need another twenty or thirty percent to make it completely negated. Um, and obviously, you can't add just another twenty or thirty percent. They would have had to double it.
1: I, you know, I, I, I think that that's another longevity issue. Is that you, you've seen in the past that amount of RAM has kind of been the the gate preventing good performance on these older devices as they get upgraded. And especially like things like how long the app is in the background before it gets suspended are affected. Like original iPad, that was, you know, kind of abysmal. Yeah. And uh, I think even the 4S 512 megabytes was kind of starting to get there, you know, for a lot of these applications that are kind of built targeting the 5. You know, so even though it's an S bump, it's like, well, you know, you probably should have added more. But, I mean, there's a power penalty too, isn't there? So you have to keep that in mind.
0: Yeah, I, I still would have liked to have – um I, I would have liked two gigs. I, I don't think it was fully necessary. Like I said, I, I think all we need is that extra, like, 20-ish percent. Yeah. Um, But I would have liked two. And, and I think, you know – I don't know if if you were if you were on an old iPhone and and obviously camera is much better too. You know you talked about improvement in low low light versus you know their their previous sensor and even though it's only fifteen percent larger area per pixel, combine that with the aperture, um, the uh, you know increased amount of light that you can collect. Uh, I, I thought the improvement was pretty decent. Um, so it, it's it's overall it's a good device. I think if you were planning on getting. You know the next gen iPhone. It's it's obviously better than the five. Uh, could it have been a lot more? And yeah, I think it could have, right? If they if they went with a larger display size, um, you know, you integrate the latest in cellular and Wi-Fi connectivity. Um, and I guess I'm happy that there are more LTE bands. I wish that there was Category
1: four, but
0: you know. So this is everything. something I had. Well, so this is something that I I had difficulty characterizing. How big, from a longevity standpoint, how big of a deal do you think it is? Well, there's already
1: already people that are limited by category three.
0: Yeah, but look at it as a, right? So let's ignore the people who are going to upgrade in the next 12 months. So if someone's on a three-year upgrade cadence, by year two, how how painful is only having Category Three and and not having carrier aggregation? How painful do you think that's going to be for for just day to day usability?
1: You know I I don't think it will be that bad. Famous last words. The <laughs> the thing is that um it's just gonna it's gonna immediately come in the next couple months here to other devices. Yes. So it's more of a well I don't think Apple has ever really. It's weird. Sometimes on the connectivity side they're first, sometimes they aren't. You know, like Wi-Fi, they were they were really first with like a lot of notebook stuff. I think so. Yeah, so that's the they're thing. They're, they're
0: always, always first kind of on concerned. the notebook side, right? Like on the Mac side they've always been, but on the phone side,
1: I guess that's what's really weird is not seeing AC there. Yeah. And uh I mean, again, I, I, that's probably just a pricing thing is that it's easier to get good pricing with all this volume now if you have it shared. And that carries over to the modem, like literally the the whole front end, the whole cellular architecture is shared between the 5S and the 5C. It's like identical. So that that both keeps you know the the software maintenance cost down, and of course you know you're ordering the same thing over and over again, so you can flesh out a better deal. So yeah, I mean I'm not sure. The other thing is that you know, Apple really wants maturity too. You know they waited, you know, like they were shipping RTR 8600 and the last phone. And that was kind of just entirely for maturity and volume reasons. This time they moved to WTR 1605 and added all these new LTE bands that it enables. And, you know, that's kind of been like going on in in the Android space with all these other OEMs been shipping that part for a while now, but it's, it's kind of like, it's not, wasn't really mature yet. So I don't know if I was asking for too much, or I guess I'm not surprised. You know, we saw, you know, we counted the pads and whatever it was the same. So,
0: yeah, I, I guess, guess for I'm, I'm an S just bump, I just wanted like S to carry over to that too. Yeah. No, and that makes sense. I, I guess I'm just wondering, um, you know, from a recommendation standpoint, how screwed do you think people are going to be who who are on a three-year upgrade cycle? Um, I don't think they'll be that
1: screwed. I mean, they can still roam onto these other bands. You know, it's just not aggregated together. Yeah, you and just I think won't in get some it. markets, yeah, there's already they already have twenty megahertz. It's like they can't take full advantage of the twenty megahertz. But uh I mean they'll still work on twenty megahertz. You just can't use all the resource blocks at the same time.
0: Yeah. Do you does the G2 not have carrier ag- aggregation enabled yet?
1: I don't believe it does. I'm a little bit confused. I'm still digging on it. I don't believe it does. I have the USA versions. Again, there's no there's no carrier aggregation launched in the US. So there's there's only one carrier lit up with LTE on each operator. So there's nowhere to go try, but I mean, that platform as a whole has it. Uh, There are different options for what, you know, front end you stick on, what transceiver architecture you stick after eighty nine seventy four, And I'm not sure what, what's in the G2. I haven't opened it up yet. I think at this point we're still in the phase where I guess, you know, everybody's kind of just taking advantage of it for more, uh, you know, more bands and that, that makes sense. I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think Apple did a great job with, you know, delivering a lot, in terms of, you know, like there's really only three hardware variants. There's a bunch of SKUs, but I mean, there's really only a couple variants. And that's that's a really good improvement. I think they've always been pushing that boundary towards having like platform agnostic hardware. And by platform, I mean, you know, what operator you're going to attach it to. And so, you know, like that that deserves some credit. Uh, because there is, there is a lot of cross compatibility there. 13 and 17 in the U.S. is a big deal. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm impressed. Uh, it's just a matter of getting it everywhere.
0: Yeah. But, um, I don't so know. I'm trying I'm Trying to think we hit everything on the five S was there anything else we want to talk about on that? I
1: don't really think so. I mean, uh, I just want the gold
0: one, you know, a gold five 64 bit 5s, or 64. I don't care 5S. how big
1: it is. I even fine with 16, like it doesn't matter. You know, I'm not do you know anyone
0: with a with a gold one yet? I, I, I haven't actually... No,
1: actually, none of my friends bought one. None of my friends lined up. You know, you know what's scary is a lot of my friends that I talked into iPhones last time, the five, they were like, we want something else now. Yeah. Which is, I, I always worry about that as like my sampling bias or like, or what do you know, what do they... Is that a market indicator? Is it not? You know, I don't know So I really... expected...
0: I expected more people, more of the people in my friend group to have that same reaction and I think it kind of caught me off guard and I don't know if it's because I've just been in the Android world, you know, just recently so much, but I expected a lot of the people who've been complaining about display size, who've been talking about wanting something different, um, they all just ended up getting iPhones again. Um, and I, I don't know why, like, I, I don't know if it's just those pain points aren't big enough or they're not as bored as I thought they were. I, I'm not sure. I think the new UI keeps things fresh. Uh it does.
1: Fancier hardware and colors definitely helps. Um obviously it's fast. You know, it's it's just a good solid safe choice, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's know. true. And
0: I think I think that's the one thing that is currently missing from Google's Android lineup, right? I, I want a Moto X, but just go go crazy in terms of like material quality, right? Give me give me a true flagship. And I thought uh, we had
1: that with the one. You know, I thought that was the first hardware device that really kind of rivaled the fit and finish and overall quality.
0: It did, but I want it to be a Nexus device, right, or or close. Yeah, you're just not going to get that at 350 or whatever price point. No, and that's fine, right? I want that in addition to that, right? Like, that can be—I mean, because if you look at the Nexus tablet lineup right now, you have— You've got the Nexus 7, which undercuts the iPad mini pricing, and then you have the Nexus 10, which undercuts the iPad 4 pricing. I want the equivalent, but in the phone side, right? I want sure. the, the 5C, but undercut, and then I want the 5S, but undercut. And I, I feel like, obviously, you know, the right thing to do is if, if you can pour all your resources into one, you, you target the sweet spot of the market. And, and I think that's what they've been trying to do. But uh, I think that's one of the only things that's missing from strategy-wise, from what Google's been doing on the hardware side. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, I agree with you.
0: Um, so that hits the end of our list. Uh, you and I are both off to different locations. Um, I guess we can only talk about you're you're going for Microsoft and something else that we can't talk about. Yep. But you'll you'll be at the Surface event, yeah. Um, which is pretty exciting. Like I've never backwards. actually
1: played with Surface for any amount of time, so this will be interesting.
0: <laughs> I should yeah, I should have given you a Surface. I right never really this. yeah,
1: I never really used the original Surface, so I don't I don't know what to expect.
0: I'm curious because I feel like, you know, you being someone who doesn't really use a tablet that often, I feel like you would be more... See, what's funny okay. is I
1: used to use tablets nonstop. Like, I used Windows, you know, tablet when it was like a weird tablet edition, you know,
0: with like the stylus yeah. thing. And well, and that's why I think that you might be okay with Surface, right? Because like, you don't use tablets because you can't... You always say this, it's anything you can do there, you do on a phone, right? And And... Just not Windows phone. Whole, yeah. <laughs> but but like the 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 whole surface principle is that you yeah you give the tablet something more um i would totally use it as a notebook yeah absolutely you know with the keyboard why not yeah well the why not is cuz it runs windows 8
1: and you know i think i've i can deal with windows 8 now i I've, I've i've been using it a lot more 8.1 yeah i can i can deal with it now all right well, i've been I'm avoiding it what...
0: but it's it's time to finally like just deal with it yeah, especially cuz like the number of like really random bugs that we're running into with OS 10 just that doesn't seem to be slowing down unfortunately. No. no. Well, I mean that's another discussion. <laughs> it is. All right, we'll call it quits for now. You're off to Microsoft. Um I'm off to AMB's event. Um and uh yeah, well, I guess we'll we'll touch base when we're both back. Yep, sounds good. Awesome. Thank you guys for listening.